Steve Addison here for the Movements Podcast. Podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're going to hear the second installment from Fred Campbell about uh, what it takes to reach a city. Begin with a question from Tim Shire. Can you give us some insight into why do you think this has been so effective in your city? What we learned when we were in the city before we ever started to do this is that there were years of that taking place here in this city. Um, There was actually a prayer movement in this city um, so significantly. And this goes back to, uh, you know, 2000, um, even where a, a, a... a new believer, it's a story I got mouth to ear from this uh, guy now uh, just last year, where as a new believer, less than two years since he had come to Christ, he organized a citywide prayer meeting to pray for the city and for the lost in the city back right before the year 2000. And uh, got a, a local uh, sports stadium and uh, it was incredible um, incredible participation. Even the first year in which we were, uh, so number one, a foundation of prayer. Number two, there was already, uh, there was a building of spiritual awareness in the city. Um, We found that uh, peaked um, towards the latter part of uh, 2013 when there was a, a concurrent citywide spiritual awareness campaign called Explore God. And you can see all the details of that uh, on the web at exploregod.com, I believe. You can see that. And so uh, that year, we went around and we broke up uh, the city by, by zip code, and we contacted and visited um, hundreds of churches in, in this city. And so that uh, did a couple things. It allowed us to be aware of, okay, where are the churches? And also to see how God was using this billboard campaign, Explore God, uh, how he was using uh, the radio pieces that were going on in the city. There was a lot of, of uh, touches um, all around the city where people would just see the name God. And so um, I think when we showed up, um, some of the people with that initial um, House of Peace search, the push, very rarely, very rarely would they say this. Now, who are you with? What church are you from? If they said that, you know, if they were suspicious, you know, and thought, you know, something's going on here, we would say this. Holy Spirit gave this to us. Tim, we don't come in the name of an organization. We don't come in the name of a church. Tim, we come in the name of Jesus. And what we learned was that in this city, there was a lot of this to religion, but that barrier would come down when they would hear the name of Jesus. And and I think, Tim, to answer your question, the combination of of prayer, spiritual awareness, and then the uh, the, the strategy uh, did not involve 
uh, paper. It did not involve uh, organizations. Uh, it was very much a grassroots um, effort. And when they encountered somebody at their door to give them something, that's very counter socially here in, in, in the U.S. People don't show up at your door to give you something. They come to your door to get something from you. And that combined with this offer to prayer, very often we found people, they, no one had ever asked them if they could pray for them. And then coupled with this whole uh, discipleship that followed that was very uh, counter to anything they experienced before. They'd never heard anything like this. And, uh, and then when the people would follow up to disciple, we weren't trying to get them and pull them out of their community into a church. We were more interested in discipling them in their home, in their community. And in fact, if they brought up the whole subject, because remember I told you the bond would grow deep, they would say, They'd say, hey, where do you go? And we say, go where? They'd say, no, where do you go to church? And so we'd, we'd tell them if they asked, and then we'd say, but just a minute, we got to warn you. There are people there that are hurting, and there are people in there that are far from God. So we just want you to know that. So when you go there, if you go there, remember that. Go in there and don't stop doing what you're doing out here, this obedience-based discipleship. If you go in there, go in there and share your story and Jesus' story with others and invite, build relationship with them and invite them to come with you into the harvest field. And so that happened as well. And I'd get a call from churches saying, what are you doing? And they would find out how new believers we're coming into the church and people they didn't know and we're inviting people to go out and knock on doors or go sit in meetings with people being discipled. And so that, that was uh, very exciting. So uh, I'm just trying to say this by that example is that the Holy Spirit was driving waves of this that are taking place. And and that's what I uh, what I keep finding over and over is when we keep everything centered on the word of God and full reliance on the Holy Spirit of God, and that that's the message, and, and we just keep coming back to, look, this is not a method. This is Jesus' strategy. This is Jesus' strategy for the harvest. And we're not the plan. We're not the plan. Yes, we're going to go in and join him and, and obey him, but those houses of peace— they're the plan. We got to find those people that God is already at work. We got to find them. And so that was a great relief to many existing believers because in a in a context where there are, you know, over 90% of the uh, uh, of the community is unchurched, there's this there was this common belief among believers they're going like, I can't go out and know all these apologetics and and be able to go toe to toe, you know, with these uh, uh, these other <coughs> these other people. We said, no, 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 no. Your job is to get into the harvest field and search 
for the house of peace that has these characteristics. And so we would train them on the characteristics from, from Luke 10 and Mark 10 and say, here's what you're looking for. And here's the good news. We tell them, you can tell. It's easy to tell if someone is receptive to you. That's easy. It's easy to tell. I'm, I'm trying not to oversimplify this, but this is what gained normal believers, just like you were talking about, Gerard, how difficult it would be to move from a knowledge-based paradigm to an obedience-based paradigm. The bridge was for them to experience Christ inside the harvest field and for the Holy Spirit to do something that they didn't expect. And so what, here's what we would tell them when we would train. We'd say, look, the devil has perverted this generation. And what that means is he has twisted and turned everything upside down. And so with the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God, we're simply untwisting that and turning it right side up. And we're going to stay right on this road of completely centered using the word of God and full reliance on the Holy Spirit of God and stay out of the ditch on this side that's legalistic, too mechanical. And we're going to stay out of the ditch on this side of the road that's too weak and too wishy-washy. And so over and over again, we'd have people at the end of the trainings, they would trickle back and say, you know what? They'd say things like this. You know what? I would not have believed this if you were the only one that was telling me this. But because we had a band of trainers in the training, they would say, but because this person, that person, this person is also saying that, I can believe this. And so you have to realize that this particular town, there's a there's a multiple universities. And so there's a there's pockets of very educated people. And so that's why we settled on sharing our story with Jesus story inside of it just verbally, because then they could just see that it was naturally part of us. And we'd see that that was very powerful. Now, in some communities, they might use a written bridge illustration, but the vast majority of the people, what they're using in, uh, in sharing is just a, this is, this, you know what, and share their story in a very natural vernacular, depending upon where they are, and then just put the gospel right inside of their story. And then ask them, have you ever experienced anything like that? Or does that make sense to you? Is there any reason you wouldn't like to receive the same free gift that I have? The next question involved how Fred trains people to disciple new believers. There's a couple of phrases here like DBS and T for T. You're just going to have to look them up on the, uh, on the blog at movements.net. DBS is uh, Discovery Bible Study. T for T is Training for Trainers. When we go back and do the DBS, and what we uh, tell people when they, when they start saying, I do DBS, and uh, what we say is, we're doing DBS also. We're just putting the gospel up front to find the people that God is already working. And then we started DBS. Now, when we started DBS, we follow exactly the same T for T format. The difference is that 
when the, we come to the loving accountability, the accountability is, you know, what are you going to do now from what you've learned today? And instead of asking them if it's pre-conversion, what we say is, now, who can you tell this story to this week? Because whatever story we uh, facilitated discovery in the DBS, that's the one that we'll practice telling one another. We'll practice telling that. Um, in, if, it's, if it's one-on-one, we'll just do it back and forth. If it's a group, we'll split up into pairs, and then we'll back together and ask one or two people. But we, uh, we use the same DNA the same DNA process um, for the, D, the, the DBS using the three-thirds format. The only difference is for pre-conversion, we're not asking them to go share their story in Jesus' story. We're asking them to go share the story that we facilitated and uh, uh, practiced together. So I, I, you're, you're making a very good point that that DNA, what we found is the DNA is pretty much locked in in that first three weeks. After the first uh, three weeks or three meetings, it's very difficult. You can, but it takes longer to get it to tick back to true north again. And quite often, what we found was that if we saw that they were just um, lacking confidence, in other words, if they were, you mentioned another type, or they were new believers, if they just lacked confidence, then what we would say is, come on, let's go together. When can we go together? And that's when we, we would start that modeling. Now, assisting for us, what assisting looked like, looked like is after we would go with them two or three times, we would simply say, okay, now, Tim, you take this part. Or in the middle of the, uh, uh, of the time together, We'd say, Tim, tell them about this. And we would just assist, wouldn't say, okay, push them to the front, you know, and bail them out. That's not what assist looked like. It looked more like loving encouragement to help them take a bigger piece so they would see less modeling by us and more doing by themselves, you know, on their own. And then we would watch and we would never try to coach them while we were there in the gathering, we would always do that some other place. Now, another thing that we would do is we would have them before we would go, we'd say, okay, practice. And we'd, we'd let them, we would watch them do what we were going to go out and do. And so that would allow us to assist by encouraging, encouraging them and affirming them that you got this, you can do this, but I'll go with you, but I'm going to stay quiet until I see a signal from you if, you know, you feel like the wheels are wobbling and you need help. And so we found that the DNA was obedience. If we could see them and model assist and watch, and then, of course, adding in, in the three-thirds by casting vision, we'd tell stories. So, so, for example, we were for a new believer, we were doing the commands of Christ and a baptism. We'd tell our story, each of the people that were there, we'd say, what it looked like when we got baptized. And if they seemed confused at all, we would model baptism right there in the living room with somebody, what it would look like. So uh, my wife has been baptized in the air, you know, uh, many times. 
Second Corinthians, we found Second Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, was, is, continues to be an excellent vision casting piece for them to see, you know, well, what, what really happened? And how did it happen? And who you are and say, look, he's the one saying that, not me. You're, you're his ambassador. And so if they, for example, if they wouldn't obey, you know, uh, we wouldn't move on in the discipleship. We'd come back each week. And if they hadn't obeyed the last thing we did, we'd do it again. And we lovingly, you know, deal with that in, in the accountability. I'm trying to emphasize we stuck to that three-thirds model. Don't leave out the red parts. Very important for them to see, like, for example, uh, one woman moved from being her. She self-proclaimed herself to be an atheist. Okay, after two or three times of discipleship, she said, I've moved from being an atheist to now an agnostic. And now I'm thinking very seriously about this. Okay, to a point where she comes to Christ on her own. We see her later that same day. And she says that she did it. And and what I'm saying is that holding her even through that, those weeks when she was like that to say, "Okay, what are you going to do, Amy? because of what we've learned today. And who can you tell? And you can tell the people that, that God's working. And when they, when they see that you really mean it, and that's, that's the critical thing, holding to the three-thirds uh, process, that loving accountability, the goal-setting, the vision-casting, and, and facilitating, and, and not jumping to all the answers for the question they have, pointing them back to the Word, and helping them become self-feeders on the Word of God and to fall in love with the Word of God, when they would see that you really mean that, they've never experienced that before. What they've experienced is religion or, yeah, he just he's just here, you know, because he's doing this. But when they would see you weep over them or they would see your heart breaking for the uh, the things that their hearts were broken for and you would teach them how to pray and you would pray for them and they would see God answer their prayers or every now and then someone would be healed of something that would take place. Okay. Little sidebar, how important this is. So that the DNA in with, even though it was put in with this one uh, man, 47 year old man, he still be, he began to, he, he was obeying very quickly at first and then his obedience began to, 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 uh, to fall. We saw him one night, him and his wife, their heads were, uh, were all down like this. And we said, what's happened? He said, for the last three months, we hadn't seen him in a while, last three months, because um, we'd handed him off to another family right across the street uh, for discipleship. He said, my wife's gotten sick. She's been diagnosed with cancer. And she's uh, been doing all of these things that the doctors, the oncology departments have her. And now they're saying, you've got to have surgery and we're going to get it removed. So we went in, we prayed for her, and the next morning we went in, she was supposed to be in, in surgery for an hour and a half to two hours. I call him at the two-hour mark, says she's not out. Call him at the four-hour mark, he says she's still not out. I'm getting concerned. We pray together. He's weeping on the phone. I'm weeping with him. I call at the six-hour mark. He says, I don't know what to say. She's still not out. Within 15 minutes, he calls me back and says, Fred, She's out. And this is what the doctors told me. We knew that there had to be cancer. We were going to find it. 
but we got in there and we couldn't find it. So we kept looking and we looked for hours and we couldn't find it. And he, he says to me, Fred, God has healed my wife from cancer. And I just said, praise God. Okay. He says within two, two and a half weeks, we go over, we're seeing, we're just bringing meals, you know, doing the normal thing, loving. He said, will you train me again? I know you did it, but will you train me again how to tell my story with Jesus' story? This time, he told everybody. Okay? And in less than 10 months, he's led 89 other adults to Christ and created five different discipleship groups. Now, we haven't gotten the identity shifted to church for those groups. But here's the point. When his identity shifted from this is something I got to do to this is who I am and I can't help it. He would show, he modeled for me one day before we went out to some of his uh, Gen 2s. And uh, he said, I'm going to show you what I'm going to do here. I'm going to go here and I'm going to tell him I have a new friend. And it's not you, Fred. And he gets in and, and he models before he goes in. He says, I'm going to tell him my story. He's going, to, uh, he's going to tell him about how God healed his wife. And then he's going to stop. And then he says, now, Tim, what kind of miracle do you need God to do in your life? And may I pray that for you right now? And then you pray for the people. And then he would share the gospel. And then here's the way that he would ask the evangelistic question. He'd call him by the first name. He'd say, Tim, now is your time. It's your time to choose. Do you want the same power, the same gift that I have and have experienced? It's your time to choose. Would you like to? And we just saw him here a couple weeks ago. And again, because we're pouring into him now every week. A couple weeks ago, uh, we show up and he said, "He said, I, I have, I, I just, I have some good news and bad news." And uh, this is hilarious. I think you guys will find this uh, funny. I hope so. He uh, he said, "I shared with one of my neighbors. He's been leading these people to Christ in his oikos and in his neighborhood." He said, "I shared with my neighbors. My whole family went over and we shared just like we normally do." And Fred, they said no. He said. That's the first person that has said no to Jesus that I've met. I'm saying, oh, my goodness. God, you're an amazing God. I I just found that over and over again, no matter how I try to escape the power of God and say, this is going to be some mechanical thing that we're just going to go do. We're going to go knock on these doors because we don't just knock on doors to engage the lost wherever they are. Going and knocking on doors is just the steps that get us from where we are to it becoming an identity of who we are, that we do this all the time with people wherever we go. That he'll change our lives, no matter how far we've been on this road, and say he's just making us like his son And he's given us his playbook, the Bible. He's given us this New Testament, this playbook to go do it. And I don't mean play. I'm talking about his strategy 
to just go do it. Part of the discussion covers what Fred does in a community that's resistant to the gospel. We found that we, we found some hard soil in some of those communities. You know, we find like uh, my wife and uh, a local pastor went to uh, a single family neighborhood and uh, we had never encountered this before. Every door they knocked on on this one street, no one was receptive. Okay, that wasn't a multi-housing, but, but we had never experienced that. And quite frankly, we've never experienced anything like that since. But it was, uh, it was interesting to see that, okay, we need to find where is God working? And so we would always challenge and encourage the folks that were working in those communities to just keep searching. You know, take, take smaller chunks and do your, your push with a smaller number and then work those go through those, and then take another small chunk, work those, then another small chunk. And as they got in there, they found um, Hindus. Um, they found uh, other belief system folks, and some of those people came to Christ. So I think my, uh, my suggestion might be there for you um, um, Wayne, my suggestion yeah. would be try more than one community type. Get some diversity yeah. and then remember that here's another thing that we learned. Now, for us, our first year, there was just so much fruit. It was just crazy. The second year, we train, 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 train. Okay? And in that second year, we, my wife and I, we came to a point where we, we felt like we hit the wall. We felt disillusioned. We saw things began to, to, they were going like this, and they began to go like this. And what we found out later is, hey, that's normal. This uh, disillusionment or a wall is a normal part of the process. And we were, we were coached to say, hey, be sure to help your Timothys, the people that you're discipling, help them to know that this wall is coming at some point. You're going to get stuck, and you're going to feel like, you're starting over or something's not the way it should be. And so uh, that's a normal uh, experience. So that's very encouraging. And then the other is try to go probe in a, you know, some different community types that are in that area that God's giving you a heart for and just go do those probes and see, okay, where's God working? Because the, the, what we found the other lesson was in some of these places, the house of peace this is the, this, the, the plan. The house of peace inside those communities with their oikos, they're the ones that can reach. They're the insider that can reach those people like we can't. Okay, what we found um, very common in those places, we found people that were very religious. They had um, um, very, um, I can't think of another word other than wacky. Uh, they had very personal um, views on um, spiritual matters. And, um, and what we found was there, there, were, there were very commonly somebody or somebodies in those communities that uh, it, it appeared that um, the evil one had put there to sidetrack us, to, to engage us and keep us engaged for long periods of time over and over and over and over 
and not progress to reach the rest of the community. Uh, that was one thing we learned. Another thing that we learned was that uh, those uh, particular communities, uh, there were other um, there were other entries that uh, could be attempted and were. And what we found still was that even though other entry, um, besides the simple gift and prayer, other entries might be attempted. So, for example, if the community had like a block party or something like that, it was always get back to their, you know, find a way, get back to their home and start the discipleship and, and see, look for um, those different soils and look for that fourth soil person. Because when we could find the fourth soil person in that community, it was like, okay, we just need to focus on coaching this person and he's, he's able to, or they, they're able to reach this community like we couldn't. So for example, um, some communities we initially went in where we were doing the discipling, um, it didn't seem like anybody was receptive to us. We found one person that was like, well, they're all receptive to him, but they're not receptive to us. And for some reason, some social strategies, I'm sorry, some, some social settings, they just, if you live there, they feel like you're one, you know, you're one of us. And uh, we saw that dynamic um, occur uh, repeatedly. Mm. And so, just in this same topic, with uh, people that, areas and people that are receptive, is there anything you could say about your perception of their pre-existing knowledge of the gospel before you connected and shared with them? Or is it varied and diverse? It is varied and diverse, but I would say the most receptive communities, we saw that they had some exposure to either a family member, you know, like a grandmother or aunt, uncle, or some, you know, some other family member, and they knew, uh, they, and they had some kind of reverence for God, but they knew nothing about Jesus other than he died. They didn't know why he died, um, and they only knew about, you know, remotely that their religion exists. But when they, when they heard a relationship with God's own son that is real personal, and personal, they were going like, I never heard that before. So even in, uh, even in the community where there are over 700 churches, over and over, we found that, we, like, give me an example. Met a guy, he was in his 60s, okay? And I uh, shared my story, Jesus' story with him. And, uh, and I asked him, you know, does it make sense? Is there any reason you wouldn't want to? And he goes, no, there's no reason. I said, no, wait a minute. Re- you've never heard this? Because he, he said, I've never heard that. I said, you've never heard this before? And he goes, uh-uh. And very shortly after that, here's what he said. He said, I see what you're talking about in your eyes, and I want that. Remember God's promises. Remember his promises and hold on to his promises and believe his word. And what I found is whenever we feel like, oh, it's not, 
you know, going well or I've hit this wall, go back to the scripture and flood yourself with the gospel and acts and see what did Jesus do and what did his disciples do? And both before Jesus went back to heaven and after. And what I found is that this has been in my experience. Just remind yourself that God, he has an unstoppable plan. He has this unstoppable plan, an unchanging purpose. And it's just our opportunity to say, okay, I trust in you, and I'm going to set aside everything that is hindering and whatever is in my mind or my experience, and I'm going to trust your word and what it says when, when the Lord says, pray to the Lord of the harvest, that he'll raise up workers. And so that's a command. And so I pray that every day and trust to believe that he has those people in the harvest field. And so what do I need to do? I need to die to myself and get and abide in him and out of that overflow of abiding to him, get into the harvest field and find those people in whatever way. So, for example, here in the U.S., when it's wintertime, they, they will gravitate to not knocking on doors and they'll go to where the people are that are far from God. They'll start knocking on doors at springtime and go up until the, the days are short. But the people that are getting into the harvest field, biting in Christ and saying, I'm not going to trust my experience, even though it's been like me 30 years. I'm not going to trust that. I'm going to believe your promise and I'm going to go and I'm going to go expectingly and I'm going to watch him do what only he can do. And, uh, and I found that that childlike faith in my life produces fruit that just continues to grow beyond what I can ask or imagine.